Good morning, everyone. All right, this morning uh, with our family news, we got uh, Bethel Worship Night at the Grand Ole Opry. That's uh, Monday, October the 17th at 7 p.m. You can register online and reserve a ticket. Women's mentoring uh, program kickoff is uh, Tuesday, October the 18th at 7.15 p.m. And uh, you can see Otter Creek happenings for more information. Parents, please pick up your children immediately following class. Uh, 1045 is what we were told. <laughs> so I guess I guess we got to let y'all out on time. I think that's a hint, Lee. <laughs> Room in the end, volunteers are still needed. Please contact the Arnats or Dwayne Dixon if you can help. Family prayer concerns for this week. Teresa uh, Pinson, the passing of her mother, Lorraine Maddox, on October the 7th. Uh, John uh, McCaslin, suffering from uh, headaches and double vision. And Tate Mayfield, the newborn son of Kyle and uh, Courtney, is at uh, Vanderbilt Children's with high fever and they're running tests. Praise for new babies, Madden May Mays, born on October the 8th, uh, to Brooke and Kyle, seven pounds and five ounces. And Jonas Autry, born October the 12th, to Chad and Leanne, and was also seven pounds and five ounces. Any other announcements, prayer concerns? Daniel and Mary Ann Green. Okay. Yeah, their house burned yesterday morning early. Wow. Everybody's okay, the kids weren't home. They were able to save the cars, um, but the house is probably a total loss. Man. I don't think they wanted it yeah. widespread. Well, I just got a text, and um, they, they want prayers, but they can't. They, don't, they just need their space. So yeah. they did ask um, Laura and Tara asked to spread the word that they really want prayers, but that they're just trying to. Yeah, I, and I, I know we're all trying to figure this out together, but the word that we heard is there was some family that's out of the country, and they're trying to protect that news from getting to them. They are Oh, they did? Yeah. Wow. Okay, so that's old news. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard I, I to keep that, that news that. from spreading, I, I guess. I just know that they know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come to you uh, at this time um, asking a special prayer for the Green family. Uh, Father, it's, it's a devastating thing when uh, we lose uh, the things that we have worked hard for. But Father, we are thankful that you have uh, um, spared their lives from this devastating uh, event. And Father, we pray that you be with them as they process everything. We pray that uh, we will uh, continue to pray for them. And Father, when they're ready, uh, that we will help them in the, the way that they need help. And Father, we pray for um, 
the family of uh, Lorraine Maddox. We pray that you be with them. We pray that you be with John Castlin, who's suffering with headaches right now. We pray that you be with Tate Mayfield as they work uh, with this child. Father, we thank you for the uh, new kids that were born, Madden May Mays and Jonas Autry. Father, and let us not forget our very own uh, sister Deborah Butler. We pray that you continue to be with her. We also pray for our sister Broadway uh, as she continues to have treatments. And we thank you for blessing her with another birthday. Father, we pray that you be with each and every one who is here today. Uh, bless us all in the way that you see fit. And Father, we pray that you um, continue to bless this class um, as a group. And Father, we pray that we will learn the things that we need to learn in order to be uh, effective for you uh, out in the world and be effective for the kingdom. And Father, that we will show um, the world how we are supposed to love each other despite our differences. We pray that you uh, bless each and every one who came this morning who have questions. Uh, we thank you for their hearts. We thank you for the, um, the questions that they have. And Father, we pray that we will just continue to learn from each other. In Christ's name we pray, amen. A lot of seats down front here. Let's uh, stand and sing the doxology together, please. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here. invite you to uh, let's sing it one more time and sing it um, in a state of prayer and be mindful of the um, possibility that this is like uh, the sum of everything of the gospel that is the whole of the narrative of scripture is that all things would rightly praise God and that when all things rightly praise God all things are good because God is good that when all things rightly praise the Creator, all the creation is rightly in order, and all the creation is rightly reconciled, and all relationships are rightly reconciled, and all wrongs are undone, and all brokenness is healed. So let us pray again with that in mind. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him
do a, a three-minute, see if I can do a, a two-minute summary from where we've gone so far in the class. Uh, we've tried to, uh, the first week we were together, we tried to acknowledge a great variety of fears and anxieties that we have in this room, that we all have a variety of questions, fears, hopes, anxieties that we bring to this sort of conversation. Then those, in many ways, reflect, no doubt, the array of fears which are probably more and varied in the surrounding culture. Uh, second, we've talked in uh, both last week with Robert and two weeks ago with Richard Hughes about the historical roots of racism and segregation within churches of Christ, uh, rooted in some cases in faulty theological presuppositions. For example, uh, that the church ought not be concerned with social issues but about people's souls uh, is, uh, is one of the early 20th century dangerous spaces, I would suggest. Uh, that allows us to ignore things that we ought not to ignore and moreover mischaracterizes the gospel because the gospel is never characterized about one one narrow part of life but the whole of life and the whole of the creation. In some cases the historical roots of racism and segregation were rooted in perhaps faulty pragmatic concessions as we saw especially last week with Robert talking about the differences between for example Keeble and Hogan and the questions that arise in when we're trying to work through pragmatic questions of what do we do with the messy situation in which we find ourselves. Uh, two weeks ago, we suggested to you four theological anchors to keep in the conversation, that these are primary considerations when we're trying to think about justice and reconciliation that I suggest are important to keep before us all the time in these kinds of conversations. One, and first, was, was the notion of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is the setting all things to rights. That all the brokenness, all the hostility, all the disease, all the affliction, all the poverty, all the hatred, all the hostility, all the war, which is to say all the brokenness of human history. Or one of the ways it's summed up in the whole of scripture is death. And death is the mother of it all. That death finally is undone in the kingdom of God. So, for example, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 will say that the end of the story is that death, the final enemy of God, will be overcome. So the kingdom of God is this announcement that the work of God setting things right has broken into human history. Secondly, then, the notion of the principalities and powers, that there are real structures of power. There are real systems of power. There are real spiritual, social, dynamic powers in the world. Uh, and, and as the Bible sees, especially in Colossians 1, that all the powers that are, that are in the creation were created by God for good. But they overreach. Rather than serving humankind as they were intended, they began to focus upon their own survival. And in focusing on their own survival, they began to oppress humankind. So one of the classic examples, Jesus said, humankind was not created for Sabbath, but Sabbath was created for humankind. Yet Sabbath had taken on its own entity, its own identity as a power that had begun to oppress humankind rather than serve it. Third, we talked about the church, that the church is a real socio-political entity in the New Testament. It's a real social political force in the world that has its own sort of alternative politic characterized by a ministry of reconciliation. And fourth, we suggested some virtues and practices that are necessary in this endeavor. Suffering love, truth-telling, and courage, at least being three preeminent practices. 
Uh, today, we, we suggested that we would uh, kind of take some space and time for conversations and questions and so forth. And let me set that up with, with something that Laura, my wife, uh, shared with me from something that she learned recently at a, at a, a conference on uh, diversity training for nonprofits. Um, and she said that the, the presenter suggested that it's important for us to have what are called toothpick moments. And by that, what he means is, you know, when you're in a conversation with someone, um, if, you, if you ever go away, let's say you, you've sat down at lunch with somebody and you go away an, an hour later or two hours later and you've been through another meeting after lunch and you go and you look in the bathroom and you got food stuck in your teeth and nobody told you. And it's like, why didn't, why didn't somebody tell me? Why wasn't my, my friend friend enough to say, so a toothpick moment is a moment in which we trust each other enough to be okay with the uncomfortableness of saying, is to say, hey, when you're saying it that way, that's really bothersome. Or when you're saying that way, saying it that way, one of the ways that's being heard is, or when you overlook such and so, one of the things that that causes a problem with is such and so. So the willingness to have toothpick moments, right? That's one of the things that's important in these kinds of conversations and in this, especially in our context here. So we're gonna have two major questions that set you up for questions, feedback, comments, and thoughts today. Uh, and we're gonna do this with, uh, with the uh, think, pair, share thing. So your first assignment is to find someone who's not your spouse uh, to have a conversation with. So quickly, everybody identify one person around you that you can talk to for 60 seconds in a moment. <laughs> All right, come back to me. Come back to me, if you will. All right, here's the deal. So, um, the first, the first thing I'm going to ask you to, to uh, I'm going to give you kind of like 45 seconds for you to be quiet and think. If you, if you think better by writing, feel free to do that, but I'm going to give you 30 to 45 seconds to think about what you're going to say, right? Um, and then after 30, 45 seconds of quiet, then I'll invite you to share, each, share that in your pair, and each of you give enough time, you only have 60 seconds, so 30 seconds to share with the person you're paired up with each, right? So each person can talk. And then we'll open it up for everybody and we'll put stuff up on the board. So here's the first thing. Um, what major issues that we've not even begun to get at, and there's lots, but what major issues do you feel like it's important for us, either in this class or for our church as a whole, Otter Creek as a whole, to be mindful of, in conversation with, talking about? So what are the major issues with regard to ra racial reconciliation that you think it's important for us as a church community to be paying attention to, talking about, trying to address? Clear enough? So 30, 45 seconds for you to think about what your answer is, and then I'll invite you to talk to your talking partner.
All right, take uh, 60 seconds to share with the person you're paired up with. Share with us what what were some of the, some of the things shared in your uh, in your pairings there, major issues, questions, concerns that you would hope that we would be thinking about as a class or as a Christian community here. tendency of similarity affinity. How about that? <laughs> kind of like that. Paul? Nobody wanted to talk to me. So. <laughs> Sarah, will you please talk to Paul next? I think the number one issue of all of this is integration. We've got, I mean, segregation. We've got to stop Somehow we've got to get away from this segregation stuff. It's created all of this. It's the, the segregation. Um, we, we've got to get it together. And um, in more of a better proportion than we had, than I've seen. We've just 
we got to do it. And I don't see any any other. I, I, I just I don't see anything else. Thank you. Somebody else? I'll punch in on that very point. Uh, I see a huge difference in white students who came from the public education system and black students who came from the public education system. It's not something you can't overcome, but it's hard to avoid the uh, conclusion that we're not sharing resources uh, between those two areas. We've got to look at public education as one of our major tools to uh, to try to overcome the differences that we perceive between uh, these two cultures, which are sometimes just differences of perception and not really true at all. Yeah. So how, how do we really get at root issues how of equity really and sharing of... But, you know, if, if you're saying that a whole proportion of your population is not due the same chance at public education as this group, then you're, you've already walked away from trying to solve the problem. Thank you. If you're speaking to having a multicultural community, having an integrated community for this body, you can't do it here. I, we, our creek strikes me as being uniquely unsuited geographically, being what Doug Sanders used to call rich, white, and not on the bus line, to this kind of, to, do, to doing this easily. Because, I mean, I know, Robert, you've said, and William Jenkins has said, that the reason, one of the big reasons they're here is because they wanted to come to a church that was predominantly white. We like it here. We don't want to go somewhere else, and that creates some real issues just because of where this body is located. It's going to be hard to get us to leave. It's going to be hard to get people to come here. And I've heard Preston share a story a couple of times now that I think speaks to this, and I'm going to see if I can get him to tell it. Put him on the spot. It's a story about Will Campbell, the Baptist minister, civil rights activist. He was invited to speak at the Riverside Church, which is a large, wealthy, white congregation in New York, to talk about issues of race. And so he got up in their monstrous pulpit, and he said, I, you know, when you invite me here to say, what can we do about race, I know what you mean. He says, you're asking, what can we do about race? And then he gestured all around the giant sanctuary and said, and still keep all this. And he said, and the answer, brothers and sisters, is nothing. That's right. Issues of location and privilege. Anyone else? Um, my, the thing that I've been thinking about that I think is related to both of those points has to do with the social, political, financial capital that not only individuals within this church hold, but also the church itself. And when we talk about principalities and powers and speaking back to those other institutions that hold power, like what are we doing to actually speak truth to um, powerful institutions like within our city? Um, are we doing enough? Can we do more? So, um, with our power that we do have,
it rightly sufficiently employed. Thank you, Courtney. <coughs> Good. Mike? I guess uh, Bill and I took a hot to extreme on some of this, and we kind of concluded, and he took the other part, we kind of concluded that we had to do this simultaneously. Um, I was thinking about, with, you know, Jeremiah's people and how, um, you know, God had inherited them down first before they were built up. So he's, he's taking the build up side, I'm taking the tear down side. Is I think that we're still very naive about racism in, in the church and in our country. Um, a lot of people, they say something publicly that, you know, I real, real feel good about people who are diverse and different than I am, but behind closed doors, they may feel something differently. Um, so it's about really getting honest on why we feel differently behind closed doors. So continuing to address um, the uncomfortableness of our diversity. Okay. I remember, I think that phrase. Let me see if I can summarize yeah, that real quick. Name it and claim it. Yeah, and, name it and claim it. And this isn't a good name it and claim it, but yeah. we need to, we need to basically confess it. And then the other part of that, how do we move forward from that? How do we yeah, name our racism? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good. Thank you. Uh, the concern I had is, like, what's next? So this, from a, when you think about this class, right? Um, December, January, I don't know. What's next? What's mm -hmm. February like? What's March like? And so it feels like there's momentum. And what is the uh, what's the driving force? What's the inertia? What's going to keep the momentum moving forward uh, as it relates to Otter Creek and this congregation and how we interact with sort of the, the reconciliation? Yeah, good. And I, I want to I come to that. We're going to do another think, pair, share in just a second, and we're going to come back to that and some of the other things people have asked about on the creek. I think something that ties in with what he was asking is what are we doing? I mean, many of us have shared about our upbringings and our raisings, but what are we doing with our children to integrate this conversation with them? Because it's, it's not age-related. It's not, I mean, it starts at whatever age. Um, so as parents, as grandparents, as people who are around our kids, that, I mean, all these things happen over generations of time, so what are we doing right now to help our kids so that 20, 30 years from now, we're not still having the same conversations? Yeah, thanks. Um, I'm curious to know what our leadership is doing to ensure that our leadership is reflecting diversity as well as our congregation. <coughs> Um, let's do, I need two more and then we'll go to the next question. Uh, yeah. Just creating opportunities to listen. To the, as a predominantly white church, creating more opportunities to listen to those outside of our um, most immediate circles, specifically you know, those who are from African Americans <coughs> yeah. as a starting point. Good. One more. Did I see a hand over here a minute ago? Yeah. I, I was kind of going off of that. But also, how do we create? Uh, places where people feel comfortable from multiple backgrounds, whether not just race, but also religion, yeah, uh, right. to talk about the things that are conflicting. Yeah. 
I would appreciate it if you um, <coughs> if you have something that you know I'm sure there's lots that still we haven't gotten on the board and, and if you would be willing to send <coughs> us just a list of other other stuff you can send it to me at lee.camp at lipscomb.edu but don't put that on that video <laughs> <laughs> That's it. To email that. Um, okay. Here's next. Here's the next question for our think pair share, uh, and make sure somebody talks to Paul. Um, so a number of you have mentioned Otter Creek. So what kind of um, initiatives? And some of you have already explicitly mentioned this an answer to this. But as you think about Otter Creek, what sort of initiatives, practices, um, hopes would you have? for Otter Creek after December, all right? What would that look like? So think about that a bit. Think, dream some a little bit. You probably, some of you already got some ideas about this. But think some about that, and then uh, I'll cue you to share in just a second. Okay, go ahead and share with your uh, partner there.
I'll piggyback on Ashley here. Um, one of my hopes would be to see a person of someone who's not white and not a man in leadership. When um, just one of we are new to Otter Creek, and just when I was looking at the website and checking it out, like I remember that being one of the cons. Like one of the things I put, I was like, everyone's white and a man. <laughs> So I think just for me seeing a, a, a black man or a black woman in in leadership in some capacity. Amen. Something else? Uh, I, two things. I think it would be interesting to find a, a sister church to connect with that is um, more multicultural. Just not to like, hey, what can we do for you? But how can we learn together? Um, what can we do together? What can we do together? And then the, the second thing, and I, this this might come across as a dig, I don't mean it that way, but um, like the, we had the straight out of Nazareth like thing going, and it just felt like an inappropriate um, co op of like, Amen. Amen. God bless you. <laughs> um, and, and not from like not from like what straight out of Compton was. Cause, I don't know. I grew up listening. But um, <laughs> I did. But it just it, that like that was a significant cultural event, that album, that group, and I felt like we co-opted it in a way that I don't know. I'm not African American. I can't speak to the culture, but like just seeing it, like man, we co-opted something that was pretty significant to the culture and turned it into something that might not have should have been. I don't know. And so just how we use do I culture appropriate? Yes. Yeah. Um, and how, how we use cultural appropriation is the yeah uh, how we use things and just being knowledgeable about okay is this the right way to use it within the church but also within the context of the culture and what it might mean to another culture uh, from a positive standpoint or from a what it means uh, so those are the thanks very helpful Sarah I'm gonna kind of share Jim's idea but um, he said kind of with the sister church idea maybe partnering with Trader Lane and things of service like if we do um, a room to end one night and they do a room to end night we can go to either church and kind of do it together volunteering um, but also I thought uh, beyond that even doing fellowship things together just to get to know them and get to know other people in our community and showing that you know so many times I think when tree, oh bring the Wayne Free kids here well we need to go to their community we need to show that we're willing to go there and learn about you know just where their homes are and what they, you know, in their community and try to show both ways. Um, Straighter Lane isn't the only black church in Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the only one we know. <laughs> I would actually say Graceway or um, probably Graceway. They, they would probably be more willing to do something with the Otter Creek. All because of what I told you all last week. The black church is ultra conservative. Yes. And I'll probably get in trouble for the comments, but it's <laughs> and I mean when it comes to working across racial lines, it's not like you gotta fight the elder one by that. Yeah, because they'll 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 the, the black church will actually hold the women in service and the um instrumental music against Under Creek and say, Hey, we can't work with you. Caucasian male 
think we could be a lot more proactive uh, in advertising and promoting service opportunities in the inner city. Uh, Wayne Reed's a good example, but it's just, I guess it's the only example that Otter Creek had with his support. So, so through our uh, uh, leaders, uh, they could just make it a lot more open and easy for members to understand how they could uh, participate. Thank you. Um, one of the things that struck me, I think it was last class, that William said was, you know, I, I don't hear any Kirk Franklin songs out here. So I mm. think just in terms of just the worship style, there being a more openness to diversity. I mean, one of the things that really, since being here for about six, seven years, was when George Pendergrass sang on yeah. Easter, just like, slave me. It brought, you know, and I don't, you know, I'm a white male, so I don't know how that, the soul, it, it just, there's not a lot of soul. And, and so, and, and, and again, I can't really speak to what that is, but, you know, figuring out ways to, to incorporate that into our worship. And Justin and I were talking, I mean, Justin can speak more authoritatively on that. But, uh, I, I do think it's going to be difficult. That is always going to be a linchpin. Um, it's part of the reason why I like acapella, because I think it kind of strips out some of the, the cultural things where we're like, this may not be anybody's preference, but we're all doing it together. Um, <laughs> 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 you know what I mean, though? Like, I mean, instrumental music. Oh, we have instrumental music. No, we have, uh, like, a folk rock band. You can have an orchestra and a choir. You can have a gospel band. Like, you can have a jazz band. There are any number of things. Um, and so that that's going to be difficult because of what we've talked about culturally and people wanting to be in similar situations, the music um, is going to end up being so so much a big part of that unless we just decide, you know what, whatever the music is doesn't matter that much. You still um, haven't found what you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> and Justin, to go along with that right there, uh, even the acapella between the two cultures is different. Uh, because there were songs that we sung in the black church that I have not heard here acapella, uh, acapella wise. So I mean, I, I hadn't. I'm yet. I have yet to hear the song. Um, um, oh man, I can't even think of the name of it. I'll fly away is one of them. Um, I have yet to hear the song. Uh, Show me the way. And man, that song. If you hear that song right there, you're talking about bringing you to tears. That that's a good song. So I mean, even acapella wise, we got a big culture gap too. And, it, and it, it seems it also gets mixed up with how do we not simply let that become a form of cultural yeah, inappropriate exactly. cultural appropriation? Yeah. And, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want it to be a pandering thing. Like yeah. I don't want that. But there's got to be a way to like even just from the conversations, like having like, hey, what if we did this or what you know? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody else? Uh, why do we have to? Uh, Start with the, you know, going backwards, start with the uh, conservative church of Christ. And like you were saying, the bridge is just too far to reach mm -hmm. and not find a more progressive church like a disciples church or a Methodist church or a mm -hmm. UCLA, UCLA Lutheran church. Yeah. And um, start at that point and try to look at the same from a globalization point of view rather than uh, going back into our traditions for things that. We don't agree with, um, and they're certainly not agree 
work with those who are willing yeah. to work. We're, we're so at the same time, this could become a cross-denominational lines as well. Yeah, I was thinking it's really important, I think, for us to get our kids involved early. Like, you know, my 11-year-old, he's really concerned with how funny his friends are, but I don't really think he's noticing too much, you know, that maybe some are different colors or, so I think if we get them used to the diversity early, as they grow up and become <coughs> leaders of the church, it may be a more comfortable thing. All right, now I'm, I'm gonna do a, a, we've got, we're over time, but I'm gonna take two more minutes to ask for this. Um, to see if we can do this. And, and there may be nothing anybody has to say, and that's okay if, you, if, if, if there's crickets. But in the conversation that we've had today, um, are there any toothpick moments that anybody thinks, I would like to say something about that. And we'll trust that everybody can receive whatever gets needs to be said as it needs to be heard. Um, yeah, I, I think... One of, one of the dangers we've run, and I guess maybe this goes more to cultural appropriation than anything else, is that we're talking a lot about things that we can do. And I think we need to be really careful, and this, Preston said this to me, so this is really more his idea than mine. We need to be really careful as a very, very, very white, rich church that we don't jump in and start doing things when we don't really know I mean we don't even we don't even know that there's more than one black church in the Nashville area because every time because uh, I do this too every time I think of black church I think Schrader Lane because it's the only one I know and if our level of knowledge of that community is so low we need to spend more time having things done to us and sitting and being quiet. And we're not nearly ready to go out there and be a public force. We need to shut up and sit down and listen and let people tell us what we've been doing wrong before we go out and start <coughs> trying to do all of these things right or we're gonna run smack into cultural appropriation. We're gonna run smack into lots of toothpick moments that nobody's gonna tell us about because we are not in a good position to do this publicly yet. And pray. And pray, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll reiterate just on that quickly. Is that uh, after the Tulsa shooting, I emailed one of my colleagues, African-American woman at Lipscomb, who's a brilliant woman, very well-spoken, Harvard Law degree, and, and, and I said, we were working this class. What would you, what would you, what would you say to a predominantly white church at this moment? And she, she replied and said, be quiet and listen to our hurt. And she said, I have been a wreck all this week. And, and so I, I did. I literally went and just sat and listened to her for an hour. But I do think that that's really important for us to just, you know, because part of, part of kind of, white privilege is, you know, the, obviously the white messianic complex of we can fix this. That's a very dangerous kind of temptation. Yeah, and we can't fix this. We are the problem. <laughs> yeah, figuring out the ways, some of the contours of that. Phil, last word. Uh, we are only talking about black and white, and there's a lot more cultural diversity than that. I wonder if in 10 years they'll look back as we look back and, and critique 
our parents and earlier generations that they might look back at this conversation and say, why are you only dealing with black and white in the cultural diversity discussion? The diversity of diversity we need. Mary, you got the last word, actually. Um, well, I think that, um, and you were talking about two big moments, and I think we've been talking about, well, we have to go and get Nashville, and, um, and Williamson County is the richest county, whatever, you know, that sort of thing. And But I do believe that, um, and I know from my work, where I work, that there are pockets of diversity in Williamson County, not far away from us. We just don't frequent those areas, and I feel like we just are not aware of our neighbors nearby. And I just like to point that. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for the excellent conversation. We'll look forward to seeing you next week.